welcome back to the Decarb Connect podcast. And I am really pleased to be joined today by Rana Gonheim, who is the Chief of Energy Systems and Infrastructure for the UN's Industrial Development Organization. And we'll be talking about a range of things, including the uh, deep decarbonization initiative that she's leading, um, and also the, the kind of more broad concept of how we can drive green public procurement, which is obviously so central to creating a market for uh, products from the hard to abate sectors in particular. Um, so Rana, I mean, as I've just mentioned, this is all about how do we create a marketplace for these products and through our work with our own decarbonization leaders network, through the other wider audiences we interactive, I mean, we hear a lot about the need for this sense of a, a creation of a green products market so that there is something to work towards. So we'll we'll talk about that. But before we do that, could you kick off with just a little bit of context really for you? You know, what's brought you to this moment in time? How have you come to be involved in this kind of work? And, and just tell us a little about yourself and, and then we'll kick back into the green public procurement piece. Thank you so much, Alex, for having me. It's a pleasure to be on this podcast. And there's really a number of reasons for me to be involved in this work. Um, the very first one is more developmental because industry is an engine for growth in many countries, especially in developing and emerging economies. It's a chance really to help countries develop uh, better, create jobs and all that. Um, on the other side, the second uh, angle of it is more the environmental. Um, there is really a big opportunity to reduce emissions that are coming out from industry, which is one of the largest emitters. Um, and uh, industry is really uh, facing quite a lot of uh, challenges and uh, uh, among them is actually the crisis that we all see now with the uh, energy crisis because uh, you know that's causing actually lots of blackouts, uh, industries are not able to really produce these goods and so uh, really there there is a really strong sense of urgency. Um, and finally, it's, uh, it's for me like quite a passion uh, to work on both these topics because I really want to make sure that we do meet our climate goals, we do meet uh, our development goals because I am a strong believer in both of them. And what, what was your background originally? So how, what, what is the kind of either academic or um, other kind of uh, experience that you brought into this? So I'm an environmental economist and uh, thus, uh, you know, looking at this from a more economics angle, uh, the, the green public procurement, the stimulation of the demand and supply. And uh, I've been working in the UN system for over 20 years now, uh, really uh, working with countries on developing solutions that help bring this nexus of um, energy industry and climate change, really how to support an inclusive and sustainable industrial development for countries. Okay, great. That's really, really useful. Good kind of to understand the kind of personal drivers as well as, you know, professionally where you're, where you're coming from. So thanks for that. So, so let's set the scene then. So we're, we're here to talk about uh, green public procurement, but first things first, uh, I guess this starts in a way with the, this sense of a, a growing problem or perhaps another way, a, a growing potential opportunity, which is all around this massive growth that's projected around buildings and infrastructure. Can you just kind of give a bit of context for that? So what is it that we're kind of seeing ahead of us in the next decade or two? And, and what are the kind of lurking issues with that? 
Indeed, um, the world is expected to build the equivalent of another New York City every month uh, for the next 40 years. Crazy statistic, isn't it? That Absolutely insane, right? And, and that's obviously coming because there's a growth in building roads, bridges, buildings and other infrastructure projects. Um, so obviously for that to happen, you know, lots of these infrastructures require uh, steel and concrete and cement. And so we're really looking into a supply of trillions of tons of um, those products. Um, today, actually, the global cement industry accounts for around 7% of the total global CO2 emissions and steel around 11%. So that's that's really together, they're uh, quite, uh, you know, what we call among the largest uh, contributors to the CO2 emissions. Um, around half of the cement and up to 30% of that steel is actually used by government funded uh, public construction projects. Um, so together, this public procurement of cement and steel for construction projects would account for around 6% of the global CO2 emissions. Um, so uh, it, I guess it's also important to say that, uh, you know, if we put a GPP systems in place, it's not just that consumption related to the projects. I mean, government policies is also pushing for some indirect benefit and deeper uh, benefits also related to the productions of this material. And so if we are to account for those indirect benefits as well, uh, we're talking about around 18% of uh, global CO2 emission. Uh, so, I mean, at the time when we see the IPCC reports coming out, telling us there's uh, really uh, high risks of us not meeting our targets, we're not on track. Uh, we really have here a very significant opportunity uh, to make change in sectors that can really uh, make a, a large impact. I feel like there's so much data in that that you could get hooked on, but the, the, the kind of the idea that up to 18% of future global emissions really are just directly associated with public procurement efforts. I mean, that alone shows, you know, one key reason why this is such a trigger, but, but I, I guess there's also, you know, kind of a halo effect around public procurement as well, isn't there? That it's the signal, um, you know, the, the trigger is not just avoiding those emissions, it's the signal to the wider market that these products are real and have arrived and are usable. Uh, are there other, other kind of tangible benefits from public procurement going green beyond, beyond those ideas? No, it's primarily as well what you mentioned, really giving this pull signal to the market. So at the moment, uh, I guess, you know, because especially steel and cement are globally uh, traded commodities, they're very competitive. And the challenge they face is really that the technologies that are available today to, to help decarbonize and bring us closer to the 2030 interim targets are actually quite expensive. So industry needs to really invest significantly in these technologies and to bring them uh, to, uh, to use. And as these are very capital intensive, time intensive and so on, there is a premium that those very competitive industries need to put also on the products. And, and so this is why green public procurement is really, really needed here because uh, industries that are ending up investing and, and taking these steps to uh, put a lot of capital into these new projects that are helping lower the emissions, at the end of the day, would like to see a certain security in the market demand for them, right? So 
that's exactly why you know green public procurement i mean considering the role that and the percentage that we already discussed that the public sector really holds for uh these sectors i think that's a very strong uh, signal for the market to actually uh deliver the products and projects uh, that are needed so it is very much spot on alex uh, it is that kind of demand signal then let's sort of unpick it a bit so what are some of the barriers or what are some of the challenges that you're encountering as you're talking to different nations about this approach? Yeah, I, I guess um, the, 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 the biggest risk uh, as such, not just a, a barrier, is uh, a risk that if the government set a target that's too high, then industry cannot deliver against that uh, target. I mean, you know, what do we do? <laughs> is that is that a plausible scenario as well, that at the end of the day, there wouldn't be, you know, a sufficient uh, supply for this demand that is coming from industry. On the other side, there's also uh, uh, the, the other risk is for governments to set a target too low, that is not enough to stimulate the deep decarbonization, and it's just basically ending up with a status quo. So we really need to work on setting a target that is science-based, uh, but also that fosters a close dialogue between governments and industry, because we need to make sure that that target is feasible, ambitious enough, of course, we need to make sure it's ambitious enough because we are running out of time, but at the end of the day, something that industry really um, can deliver. Um, I mean, there's tons of other challenges. So I started with that risk because it's really like that was the, a very uh, important and contentious point in the uh, in, in discussions as such. But uh, on the other side, if we are setting this green public procurement and we say governments want to buy green steel and green cement, what does that mean? How are we how are we comparing those different products? And of course, there's efforts uh, like uh, colleagues work on steel zero, concrete zero, and others. So there are, I mean, industry is actually showing uh, uh, very much uh, uh, that they are a step uh, forward uh, in setting some of these standards. But at the end, we really need to work on a more globally harmonized standard that's acceptable and that governments kind of can uh, uh, compare uh, against. Um, and then I guess uh, the, the, one of the barriers I would also still like to uh, touch upon is more the institutional uh, barrier because uh, I mean at the end of the day government procurement happens across many agencies uh, and uh, you know there is a there is a time that it takes to actually make that. Uh, step and change because even if I look now not only at governments if I look at the UN uh, where I'm coming from I mean when we tender uh, when we create tenders we really go for the most competitive uh, you know the acceptable technically acceptable yet cheapest uh, offer so there's really quite a bit of effort to take uh, institutionally to align the policies that we have uh, uh, across governments, public sector, uh, you know, civil society and international organizations to really make sure that we put in place these, uh, you know, systems that allow us to comply with that target. Is it the role of your organization, like do you get directly involved in the setting of standards or is it more facilitating that conversation? Like how? How do you engage around that standards piece? Yeah, I mean, I would say in the United Nations, generally, there's a very strong element on what we call the normative function. So we have a very strong role in standard setting. Of course, 
that also has to do because we have this convening uh, power to bring um, many countries around the tables, experts, so uh, independence as well uh, to ensure that there is no influence and obviously then work with organizations like the ISO uh, organization, which at the end of the day has the ultimate as well responsibility to bring these uh, standards forward. So it is very much at the heart of what we do both within UNIDO as an organization but broadly as well uh, uh, at the UN. What is the end goal for you here? What is it that you're seeing as the ultimate impact of green procurement that, that is possible? Great, uh, great question. But I think for us to get to that end goal, I think we have a lot of ambitions in terms of the end goals and we are all aligned. We need to uh, work towards net zero by 2050. But for that to happen, we need to agree on certain shorter term uh, goals and as well as medium term goals. And so what we are working hard um, to align uh, a number of key governments uh, on is actually to work on the short term uh, and short term, I mean, that's by 2025, uh, that uh, countries, you know, joining us in this industrial deep decarbonization initiative that you also mentioned in the beginning, are actually willing to make a pledge to uh, announce a commitment to disclose the embodied carbon on projects that they are procuring uh, by 2025. So that is a very first kind of step where we see it already gives us quite a good idea in terms of what's the baseline as well that we are working with, right? Um, and then the second uh, uh, step uh, for that is we need certain things to happen by 2030, otherwise we are at risk of not meeting the 2050 targets. And, and, and that is where we are also discussing uh, uh, the possibility to integrate an interim target. Um, so in the beginning, you, you asked me, uh, so how much, uh, why is it not easy as easy as 80%? In fact, at the moment, uh, we are discussing something in the range of 30 to 50% by 2030. So that needs to happen by 2030 so that uh, we are giving the market a signal that is needed, but that we also are uh, meeting uh, the, 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 uh, the climate goals. Um, and then the third uh, level is more, I mean, yes, we are all committed to work towards uh, net zero, but then there is this need for an alignment, uh, you know, alignment of different government policies, including the procurement policy um, to align with that target because, uh, maybe that's not the issue in developed countries, but in developing countries, there's really a very strong uh, kind of a need to bring more alignment between industrial policy, energy policy, climate policy, procurement policy. So all of these really need to talk together because the sustainable development agenda and the climate agenda is very much a, a, an integrated uh, agenda that requires us to um, you know, facilitate this kind of cross-sectoral uh, dialogue and, and align as well. So for those making pledges in and around the IDDI, do, is it necessary for them to have a committed overarching national net zero strategy or can they come to the table if they haven't chosen that 
that kind of a target? The purpose we have is through the working groups we're setting up uh, within the IDDI is to support countries to come towards that uh, uh, target as well. So, uh, I mean, there is uh, not like a requirement for countries to have that target. I mean, it's very much a, a learning process. That's where we really believe in this uh, collaboration uh, between countries, the knowledge sharing among countries, because we can shorten the learning. We don't have time. I mean, we want to learn, but we don't have that time. So fostering this network uh, of countries that could share best practices, you know, could really help in um, uh, taking, uh, you know, accelerated steps towards decarbonization. Um, so as such, there is no requirement uh, for, for having that, uh, but more, you know, at least the, the will uh, to work with us through the initiative to really put these things in place. There are already examples in um, some jurisdictions of kind of early adopters, if you like, of some green procurement policies. Which do you look at and sort of think, OK, that one's interesting. That one's interesting. Like what sort of things have you um, particularly paid attention to that you think are, are useful maybe to talk about here? I guess in terms of connected to uh, steel and cement, particularly, I would say uh, probably the Buy Clean uh, uh, initiative, which is uh, being implemented in, in the US is one uh, which is the most significant. Uh, it's been already operating uh, for years. And, and also, if, if we look already at uh, what they've achieved in the year uh, 2018, so that's already like, you know, four years back, if you think about it, uh, they actually have half of the annual CO2 emissions that were associated with cement is related to uh, public construction. Uh, so that is around 36 metric tons of uh, CO2. That's that's how much in the U.S. was actually spent on uh, public procurement, and 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 then 25% is government uh, uh, funded. So buy buy clean is really critical in unlocking this uh, kind of demand for uh, these materials and uh, reducing uh, the emissions that are. Uh, related to the construction sector, which is uh, really quite impressive. Okay. So when you look at something like the, the buy clean, what are the things that you're, you're taking from that that you think should form part of any kind of green public procurement system as, as we move forward? We've done actually in, in June this year, we've tried to do an analysis of uh, these green public procurement uh, uh, initiatives. And uh, we published a study, a how to guide, in fact, uh, in collaboration with the leadership group for the industry transition, where we tried to break this down into seven steps, uh, basically. So this is what we're saying. There are seven steps for you to successfully design and implement a green public policy for the steel and cement sectors. And we'll include a link to the GGP guide um, in the full show notes so that listeners can get the picture. But for now, where within those seven do you, do you see the challenge of this? That's what we are at the moment struggling with a bit, uh, is more the target setting, because there's a lot of like details and science and counter arguments there. So really setting uh, the, the target. Um, and the second is the scope of this environmental product declarations, you know, so, so uh, uh, 
is circular economy part of it? Should we look at it? Uh, is it, uh, you know, uh, do we do take also the compensation for the, uh, uh, the, the carbon emissions as well? Is it part of it? So, you know, these are really some of the nitty gritty details that we are str struggling now to also work on and define uh, for both target setting and the environmental uh, uh, reporting, uh, basically. So with the IDDI itself, then, where are you up to in terms of stakeholders that have stepped in? And yeah, what, what kind of stage are you at? There's two elements to the initiative. One is more like the technical, making sure we have all the knowledge we need, we have all the guidelines we need, we have all the tools we need to make sure that we have a thriving market for uh, green uh, steel and green cement. And so there we are, uh, you know, working on building uh, working groups that tackle the challenges related to standards uh, setting, uh, related to the environmental uh, reporting and related to this sharing of best practices of green public procurement. So these working groups are very much a collaborative effort that brings together uh, government representatives, uh, private sector, civil society experts to work on guidelines, tools, standards, etc. cetera. Uh, and then the second element uh, uh, of it, uh, or the second pillar of it is the political uh, si uh, signal. So this is where we're working on uh, a campaign uh, that we would like to launch at uh, COP26, where we have a selected few uh, governments that uh, will be announcing a pledge uh, on uh, green public procurement. Um, and I, I just have to say, I mean, this is a starting point, uh, I guess, uh, for governments uh, who are among the major uh, uh, producers and users as well of cement and steel are stepping up uh, at COP26 and making these announcements. But that's the starting point. I mean, we really want to work on growing this, uh, at least to include also the top 10 uh, producers and consumers of these uh, commodities uh, in time for the next uh, COP and hope to be already reporting some results by then. We're 10 days out from COP26. And so Rana <laughs> can't tell us. That's what I'm hearing. Is that right? Exactly. Yeah. Okay. We're preparing for that and you'll very soon hear about it. Uh, it's been supported very closely by the COP26 presidency and the UK. Um, so that's a sneak peek into it. But basically, there's, uh, yeah, there's more governments uh, stepping up. And I hope in time for COP, we would even have more than four governments committing. What sort of feedback do you get? If there's pushback, where does that pushback tend to come? But what's the generalised feedback when you open up these sorts of discussions about pledges and plans with, with different nations? I have to say it's actually been quite positive so far. So it's not really, it's just that things take time, right? So so to, to, to get a government to commit, and especially at the moment, there's quite a lot of changes in, in many countries uh, which we are, we are targeting. So, you know, change takes time and, uh, you know, adoption of su such targets and so on takes time. So I would say this is one of the, uh, uh, most critical uh, challenges we are facing at the moment because we don't have time there is a sense of urgency we want to commit we want to bring uh, countries but 
on the other side, many countries have been open to really discuss with us and, uh, and, and bring their inputs into, into the discussion. And I take that as a positive sign. So that's why I'm saying this is the start. And hopefully by COP27, um, there would be uh, more uh, you know, uh, countries committing. Uh, nevertheless, uh, even those countries that are committing are fully also recognizing that there are, even if we have this signal and a pledge on green public procurement, there are issues that are very essential that we need to work on. And this is, as I mentioned earlier, the target setting, the environmental product um, declaration uh, uh, principles and reporting principles, and also the standards, those harmonized standards that are also acceptable by governments. So um, GPP would not work alone if we don't really work in parallel on, on, on these issues. But, the dialogue has been really promising, both on the public and the private sector side. And then for COP26 itself, what's the plan for those couple of weeks? Well, uh, there's quite a lot of uh, uh, events and activities happening around uh, industrial decarbonization. So we're surely uh, trying to put more and more on the agenda, you know, the, the demand signal uh, and demand creation element, uh, the role of green public procurement. Uh, we will, uh, on the 9th of uh, November, uh, have a session where some of the ministers committing to these pledges will be uh, making their announcements at COP26. Uh, at the same time, on the 11th of uh, November, we also have a roundtable that brings together also other stakeholders uh, from this um, uh, agenda and domain, uh, so basically other colleagues working on industrial decarbonization uh, to look at uh, you know, what else is happening in the landscape, uh, because um, there is a lot that is happening at the moment, not as much on the government side, which I have to say is probably the unique thing that we are bringing here in IDDI and GPP is just more this government drive and commitment to um, match actually the ambition and progress that we have seen from industry so far. I think I mentioned to you before we started uh, recording the podcast that the audience who's listening in is pretty varied. You know, there are people from industry, there are people from the investment community of, of all types, there's policy influencers, there's advisors, so it's quite a, a broad audience. What would you say to them about their role in this? My call to action is, is, is quite simple because uh, we, we really can't afford to delay this any further. We need to have those hard conversations. We need to come towards an, a, an agreement on some of these uh, issues. And so by not participating in this discussion, you're, you're losing out. So help us bring your perspective. Uh, if you're an investor, if you're an industry, if you're an, an expert in this field, join our working groups because these are uh, you know where we will be taking a lot of these uh, conversations. So join ID I join these uh, working groups and help bring your perspectives because yes, I mean, capital is one of the uh, strongest uh, barriers at the moment. This morning, in fact, we were having a consultation with Indian industries. Um, both steel and cement and you know everyone was really worried about where where this capital is coming from uh, so uh, I, I, we need to work as well on uh, financing uh, uh, principles which is uh, you know how, how do we support you know also the these industries in adopting you know more affordable financing and developing financing principles that would uh, support that um, industry you know what can, you know the target uh, that 
that is to be communicated uh, next year uh, at the clean energy ministry the 13th meeting of the clean energy ministerial as i said in the beginning there's a risk that if we make it too high and industries can't comply or too low and then it's not enough so industry please you know contribute to this discussion because we need to know what is what is feasible as well uh, at your end and and actually uh, the industry has a very unique knowledge uh, to bring here and to help uh, this initiative uh, flourish further I think I think that's a great call to action. It's basically get involved. And the fact that the IDDI and the campaign around it is not a closed book. This isn't done and dusted. This is still working groups in action, discussions in action, pledges starting to becoming real. You know, the call to action of get involved and help drive this, I think, is a pretty powerful nice. one. Um, so, Rana, thank you so much for joining us and good luck. Um, good luck as you're sort of pushing forward and gaining those new pledges and We'll look forward to, to hearing uh, some of those pledges as they emerge during COP. Thank you. Thank you so much, Alex. Thanks. Many thanks for listening to the Decarb Connect podcast. We work with clients across the industrial sectors, specifically those who are tasked with decarbonizing the most energy intensive products and materials that we use every day. If you have an interest in uh, learning more about either our members network our reports or our event series do get in touch with us at decarbconnect.com or if you'd like to take part in the podcast email me alex at ac at decarbconnect.com thanks for listening